So God's at work. He's doing something. If, if you're here this morning, we're going to do something we started doing five years ago. If you're at home, you're participating with us. Every new year, five years ago, I came up with this idea of reading an old sermon. And so I'm going to be doing that again this morning, and I'm excited. I'm going to return to reading a Charles Spurgeon sermon, which is what I, I did when we started this five years ago. Reading a sermon is actually hard to read and sustain people's attention through reading. Reading a sermon is hard to listen to for a while. It takes time to read through a sermon. So this is going to require some work. Whether you're at home or here, it's going to require work listening. Now, we didn't do this in the e-liturgy, but I'll, I'll make you aware at home you can do this or here you can do this. If you go uh, online, you get on the, uh, the Wi-Fi, you can actually go, if you're a visual learner and it helps to follow along, you can go online and you can go to, let me just find what I need here. You can go right online, just do a little, a quick little Google search, Charles Spurgeon, Sermon for New Year's Day. You'll find it. If you find it, you're able to follow along. You don't have to do that. If you're an auditory learner and it helps to just sit and listen, well, that is fine as well. I read recently this week that Robert Murray McShane, who was a passionate follower of Jesus, he was a pastor, he, he probably did more than most of us accomplish in our Christian lives in his mere 28 years. I think he was dead by the time he was 28, but he was uh, fond of praying a, a similar prayer. People knew him for praying this prayer over and over again, and the prayer that he prayed was, Lord Make me as holy as a pardoned sinner could ever be. He was constantly praying that God, that Jesus would transform him, would make him holy. What a great prayer as we head into a new year. Make me as holy as a pardoned sinner can be. That's my invitation to you guys as we begin 2021. Who knows what 2021 holds? We don't, we don't know. Do you remember last year when I read this sermon? We didn't know what 2020 held. We don't know what 2021 holds. I hope and I have been praying for better. But I don't know. I don't know what the Lord's going to do. I know this. God is great and God is good. And so we can trust him. When we can't trace his hand, we trust his heart. If you want to open also your Bible to Revelation 21 verse 5, that's the verse that Charles Spurgeon will be preaching from. This is a sermon that he preached on New Year's Day, January 1st, 1885. And you are going to be stunned at the relevance for today. What do you hear some of the things that he says? This could be preached today. And it will be. You ready? Sermon for New Year's Day. 
Revelation 21.5, And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Revelation 21.5, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. That's the ESV. Let's read. How pleased we are with that which is new. Our children's eyes sparkle when we talk of giving them a toy or a book which is called new. For our short-lived human nature loves that which has lately come. And is therefore like our own fleeting selves. In this respect, we're all children. For we eagerly demand the news of the day. And we are all too apt to rush after the many inventions of the hour. The Athenians, who spent their time in telling and hearing some new thing, were by no means singular persons. Novelty still fascinates the crowd. As the world's poet says, all with one consent praise newborn gods. I should not wonder, therefore, if the mere words of my text should sound like a pleasant song in your ears. But I am thankful that their deeper meaning is even more joyful. You can can do what Gabe's doing here. If you're at home, you can do that. You can interact with this. The most of men... So the newness which Jesus brings is bright, clear, heavenly, enduring. We are at this moment especially ready for a new year. Amen? The most of men have grown weary with the old cry of depression of trade and hard times. We are glad to escape from what has been to many 12 months of great trial. The last year had become wheezy croaking and decrepit in its old age and we lay it asleep with a psalm of judgment and mercy. We hope that this newborn year will not be worse than its predecessor and we pray that it may be a great deal better. At any rate, it is new and we are encouraged to couple with it the idea of happiness when we say to one another, Happy New Year. Ring out the old, ring in the new, ring happy bells across the snow. The year is going, let him go. Ring out the false, ring in the true. We ought not, as men in Christ Jesus, to be carried away by a childish love of novelty. For we worship a God who is ever the same. That's what we were singing this morning. And of whose years there is no end. In some matters, the old is better. There are certain things which are already so truly new that to change them for anything else would be to lose old gold for new dross. The old, old gospel is the newest thing in the world. In its very essence, it is forever good news. 
And the things of God, the old is never ever new. And if any man brings forward that which seems to be new doctrine and new truth, it is soon perceived that the new dogma is only worn out heresy, dexterously repaired. And the discovery in theology is the digging up of a carcass of error which had been better left to rot in oblivion. In the great matter of truth and godliness, we may safely say there is nothing new under the sun. Yet, as I have already said, there has been so much evil about ourselves and our old nature, so much sin about our life and the old past, so much mischief about our surroundings and the old temptations, that we are not distressed by the belief that old things are passing away. Hope springs up at the first sound of such words as these from the lips of our risen and reigning Lord. Behold, I am making all things new. It is fit that things so outworn and defiled should be laid aside and better things fill their place. This is the first day of a new year and therefore a solemnly joyous day, though there is no real difference between it and any other day. Yet in our mind and thought, it is a marked period which we regard as one of the milestones set up on the highway of our lives. It is only in imagination that there is any close of one year and the beginning of another, and yet it has most fitly all the force of a great fact. When men cross the line, they find no visible mark. He's talking about men at sea. The sea bears no trace of an equatorial belt. And yet mariners know whereabouts they are, and they take notice thereof. So that a man can hardly cross the line for the first time without remembering it to the day of his death. We are crossing the line now. We have sailed into the year of grace, 1885. We have sailed into the year of grace, 2021. Therefore, let us keep fast to the Lord. If Jesus has not made us new already, let the new year cause us to think about the great and needful change of conversion. And if our Lord has begun to make us new, and we have somewhat entered into the new world wherein dwelleth righteousness, let us be persuaded by the season to press forward into the center of his new creation that we may feel to the full all the power of his grace. You with me? The words he speaks to us from the scriptures are divine. Listen, behold, I make. Who is the great I? Who but the eternal Son of God? Behold, I make. Who can make but God, the maker of heaven and earth? It is his high prerogative to make 
and to destroy. Behold, I make all things. What a range of creating power is here. Nothing stands outside of that all-surrounding circle. All things. All things new. What a splendor of almighty goodness shines out upon our souls. Lord, let us enter into this new universe of thine. Let us be new created with the all things. In us also many may men behold the marvels of thy renewing love. Let us now at the portal of a new year sing a hymn to Jesus as we hear these encouraging words which he speaks from his throne. O Lord, we would rejoice and be glad forever in all that you create. The former troubles are forgotten and hidden from our eyes because of your ancient promise. Behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor ever come into mind. That's Isaiah. I am going to talk today for a little upon the great transformation contained in the text. I make all things new. And then upon the earnest call in the the text to consider that transformation. In other words, this is what he's saying, church. He's saying he's going to talk for a minute about this incredible transformation that Jesus is promised. And then he's going to talk about the fact that Jesus says, behold it. Look at it. Two points. He that sat upon the throne said, Behold, attend, consider, look to it. Behold, I make all things new. Briefly then, here is one of the grandest truths that ever fell even from the lips of Jesus. So this is point number one. Behold, I make all things new. Let us gaze upon this great transformation. So we're looking at the great transformation. This renewing work has been in our Lord's hands from of old. We were under the old covenant. And our first father and federal head, Adam, had broken that covenant. And we were ruined by his fatal breach. The substance of the old covenant was this. If you will keep my command, you shall live and your posterity shall live. But if you eat of the tree which I have forbidden you, dying thou shalt die. And all thy posterity, posterity in thee. This is where we were found. Broken in pieces. Sore wounded even slain by the tremendous fall which destroyed both our paradise and ourselves. We died in Adam as to spiritual life and our death revealed itself in an inward tendency to evil which reigned in our members. But the Son of God passed by and saw us in the greatness of our ruin. In his wondrous love, our Lord Jesus 
put us under a new covenant. A covenant of which he became the second Adam. A covenant which ran on like this. If thou shalt render perfect obedience and vindicate my justice, then those who are in thee shall not perish, but they shall live because thou livest. Now our Lord Jesus, our surety, has fulfilled his portion of the covenant engagement and the compact stands as a bond of pure promise without condition or risk. Those who are participants in that covenant cannot invalidate it. You with me? Saved by grace. Amen? Forever. Not because of anything you've done but because of Jesus. For it never did depend upon them, but only upon him who was and is their head and representative before God. Of Jesus, the demand was made and he met it. By him, man's side of the covenant was undertaken and fulfilled and now no condition remains it is solely made up of promises which are unconditional and sure to all the seed today believers are not under the covenant of if thou doest this thou shalt live you catch that you're not under that covenant church if you do this you will live but under that new covenant which says their sins and their iniquities I will remember no more. It is not now do and live. It is live and do. We think not of merit and reward but of free grace producing holy practice as the result of gratitude. What law could not do, grace has accomplished. You rejoice in that, church? What law could not do, grace has accomplished. That's the good news. We ought never to forget this bottom of everything. This making of all things new by the fashioning of a new covenant so that we have, have come out from under the bondage of the law and the ruin of the fall and we have entered upon the liberty of Christ into acceptance with God and into the boundless joy of being saved in the Lord and everlasting salvation so that we shall not be ashamed nor confounded world without end. You young people, as soon as ever you know the Lord, I exhort you, study well that word covenant. It is a key word opening the treasures of revelation. He that rightly understands the difference between the two covenants as the foundation of sound theology laid in his mind. This is the clue of many a maze, the open sesame of many a mystery. I make all things new. 
begins with the bringing of a better hope by virtue of a better covenant. The foundation being made new, the Lord Jesus Christ has set before us a new way of life which grows out of that covenant. The old way of life was, if you will enter into life, keep the commandments. There they are. Perfect and holy and just and good. But alas, dear friends, you and I have broken the commandments. We dare not say that we have kept the Ten Commands from our youth. On the contrary, we are compelled by our consciences to confess that in spirit and in heart, if not in act, we have continually broken the law of God. And we are therefore under sin and condemnation, and there is no hope for us by the works of the law. It is of faith that it might be by grace. For this reason, the gospel sets before us another way. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Hence we read of being justified by faith and being made acceptable to God by faith. To be justified means being made really just. Though we were guilty in ourselves, we are regarded as just by virtue of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. Thus, we fell into condemnation through another, and we rise into justification through another. It is written, by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. And this scripture is fulfilled in all those who believe in the Lord Jesus unto eternal life. Our path to eternal glory is the road of faith. It's trusting in Jesus. The just shall live by faith. We are accepted in the beloved when we believe in him whom God has set forth to be our righteousness. By the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. But we are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Say amen. What a blessing it is for you and for me that Jesus has made all things new in this respect. I am glad that I don't have to stand here and say, my dear hearers, do this and do that and you will be saved. Because you would not do as I commanded. <laughs> For your nature is weak and wicked. But I have to bid you, Lay your deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet. Stand in him, in him alone, gloriously complete. I trust you will accept this most gracious and suitable way of salvation. It is most glorious to God and safe to you. Do not neglect this great a salvation. After you have believed unto life, you will go and do all manner of holy deeds as the result of your new life. But do not attempt them with the view of earning life. You following, guys? 
prompted no longer by the servile and selfish motive of saving yourself, but by gratitude for the fact that you are saved. You will rise to virtue and true holiness. By grace, every believer is brought into a new relationship with God. Let us rejoice in this. Thou art no more, to, more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Oh, you who are now children. You were servants a little while ago. Some of you, my hearers, are servants now. And as servants, I would bid you expect your wages. He's speaking to unbelievers here. Alas, your service has been no service, but a rebellion. And if you get no more wages than you deserve, you will be cast away forever. You ought to be thankful to God that he has not yet recompensed you. That he has not dealt with you after your sins, nor rewarded you according to your iniquities. Do you not also know what is likely to happen to you as servants? What do you yourself do with a bad servant? You say to him, there are your wages. Go. A servant abideth not in the house forever. You too will be driven out of your religious profession and your period of probation. And where will you go? The wickedness of the wilderness of destruction lies before you. Behold, I make all things new, says Jesus. And then he makes his people into sons and daughters. When we are made sons, do we work for wages? We have no desire for any present payment. For our Father says to, to us, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is mine, thine, and moreover we have the inheritance in reversion entailed by the covenant. We cannot demand the servile wage because we already have all that our Father possesses. He has given us himself and his all-sufficiency for our everlasting portion. What more can we desire? He will never drive us from his house. Never has our great father disowned one of his children. Never. It can't be. His loving heart is too much bound up in his own adopted ones. That near and dear relationship which is manifested in adoption and regeneration binds, binds the child of God to the great father's heart in such a way that he will never cast him off nor suffer him to perish. I rejoice in the fact that we are no longer bond slaves but sons. Behold, says Christ, I make all things new. There has also been wrought in us by the work of the Holy Spirit a new life with new feelings and new desires and new works. The tree is made new and the fruits are new in consequence. That same Spirit of God who taught us that we were ruined in our old estate led us gently by the hand till we came to the new covenant promise and looked to Jesus and saw in him the full atonement for sin. Happy discovery for us. 
It was the kindling of new life in us. From the moment that we trusted in Jesus, a new life departed, a new life darted into our spirit. I'm not going to say which is first, the new, be- the new birth or faith or repentance. Nobody can tell which spoke of a wheel moves first. It moves as a whole. The moment the divine life comes into the heart, we believe. The moment we believe, the eternal life is there. We repent because we believe, and we believe while we repent. The life that we live in the flesh is no longer according to the lusts of the world, but we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. Our spiritual life is a newborn thing, the creation of the spirit of life. We have, of course, that natural life which is sustained by food and evidenced by our breath. But there is another life within which is not seen of men nor fed by the provisions of this earth. We are conscious of having been quickened for we were dead once and we know it. But now we've passed from death into life and we know it quite as certainly. A new and higher motive sways us now for we seek not self but God. Another hand grasps the tiller and steers our ship in its course. New desires are felt to which we were strangers in our former state. New fears are mighty within us, holy fears which once we should have ridiculed. New hopes are in us, bright and sure, such as we did not even desire to know when we lived a mere carnal life. We are not what we were. We are new and have begun a new career. New desires are felt to which we were strangers. We are not what we shall be, but assuredly, we are not what we used to be. As for myself, my consciousness of being a new man in Christ Jesus is often as sharp and crisp as my consciousness of being in existence. I know I am not only and solely what I was at birth. I feel within myself another life. A second and higher vitality which has often to contend with my lower self. In other words, he feels a fight. Do you feel the fight, church? If you do, rejoice. It means you've been made new. That very contention that I feel makes me conscious of its existence. This new principle is from day to day gathering strength and winning the victory. It has its hand upon the throat of the old sinful nature. And it shall eventually trample it like dust beneath its feet. I feel this within me. Don't you? says parenthetically, when he said this, it has its hand upon the throat of the old sinful nature and it shall eventually trample it like dust beneath its feet. I feel it within me, don't you? Parenthetically, and a loud voice said, yes! And Spurgeon said, since you feel this, 
I know you can say today that Jesus Christ who sits on the throne makes all things new. Blessed be his name. Parentheses. Several voices said, Amen. It needed the Lord himself to make such as us new. None but a Savior on the throne could accomplish it. And therefore, let him have the glory for it. It's dangerous to read Spurgeon sermons. The church might grow faster if I did this every week. Can't do that. Once a year. I believe that Jesus Christ has in some of you not only made you new, but made everything new to you. Ah, said one when she was converted, either the world is greatly altered or else I am. You remember this, don't you? When God saved you, it's like the world turned upside down. Why, either you and I are turned upside down in nature or the world is. We used to think it a wise world once, but now how foolish we think it. We used to think it a brave world that showed us real happiness, but now we're no longer deceived. The world is crucified unto me, said Paul, and many of you can say the same. It is like a criminal hung up to die. Meanwhile, there is no love lost, for the world thinks much the same of us. And therein we can sympathize with Paul when he said, I am crucified unto the world. What a transformation grace makes in all things within our little world. In our heart, there's a new heaven and a new earth. What a change in our joys. Ah, we blush to think what our joys used to be, but they're heavenly now. We are equally ashamed of our hates and our prejudices, but these have vanished once for all. Why? Now we love the very things we once despised. And our heart flies us with wings after this, that which once it detested. What a different Bible we have now. Blessed book, it's just the same, but oh how differently we read it. The mercy seat, what a different place it is now. Our wretched formal prayers, if we even offered them, what a mockery they were. He's talking about prayers that were just prayed, just the words, one from the heart. But now we draw near to God and we speak with our Father with delight. We have access to Him by the new and living way. The house of God, how different it is from what it used to be. We love to be found within its walls. And we feel delighted to join in the praise unto the Lord. I don't know that I admire, this is interesting, I don't know that I admire brethren for calling out in the service as our friends did just now. I admire it. So I'm different than Spurgeon. It's a different day, different age. He's not sure what he thinks about that, but listen to this. I don't know that I admire brethren for calling out in the service. I think we should call out in the service more. But I certainly don't blame them. A person shook hands with me one day this week who doesn't often hear me preach. And he expressed to me his unbounded delight in listening to the doctrine of the grace of God. And he, and he added, surely your people must be made of stone. Why? Said I. 
he replied, if they weren't, they would all get up and shout hallelujah when you're preaching such a glorious gospel. I wanted to shout badly on Sunday morning, but everybody else was so quiet, I held my tongue. For which I thought he was a wise man. But yet I do not wonder if men and women who have tasted of the grace of God and feel that the Lord has done great things for them, whereof they are glad, do feel like crying out for joy. Let us have a little indulgence today. Hallelujah. You're saved. If you're in Jesus, your salvation is secure forever. Amen. Now you feel that you must cry aloud for joy. Join with me and cry hallelujah. Parentheses, a great number of voices cried hallelujah. Hallelujah, glory be to our Redeemer's name. Why should we not lift up our voices in His praise? We will. He's put a new song in our mouths and we must sing it. The mountains and the hills break forth before us into singing and we cannot be silent. Praise is our ever new delight. Let us baptize the new year into a sea of it. In praise we will vie with the angels and archangels for they are not so indebted to grace as we are. Never did angels taste above redeeming grace and dying love. But we have tasted these precious things. And unto God we will lift up our loudest song ever. The process. You guys still with me? Come on. The process which we have roughly described as taking place in ourselves is in other forms going on in the world. The whole creation is travailing. All time is groaning, providence is working, grace is striving, and all for one end, the bringing forth of a new and better age. It's coming. It's coming. Not in vain did John write, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth. This is the beginning of Revelation 21. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. There was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven. Prepared as a bride adorned for her husband, and I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away." And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, what's he say? I make all things new. What a prospect does all this open up to the believer. Our future is glorious. Let not our present be gloomy. Write that down. Second point. Stick with me. But now in the text, there is an earnest call for us to consider this work of our Lord. He that sitteth on the throne saith, Behold, I make all things new. 
Why would he call upon us to behold it? All his works deserve study. The works of the Lord are great, sought out of all of them that have pleasure therein. Whatsoever the Lord doeth is full of wisdom, and the wise will search into it. But when the Lord himself sets up a light and causes us, and calls us to pause and look, we cannot help beholding. In other words, Jesus said, behold. He said, look to it. We should look to it. I think that the Lord Jesus Christ especially calls us to consider this, that we may, according to our condition, derive profit from it. Do you want some profit from this? Let's try to derive profit from it. First, if the Lord Jesus makes all things new, then a new birth is possible to you, dear friend. Though you have come here today in a wrong state of heart with your sins upon you, binding you fast, there is enough of light in your soul for you to know that you are in darkness and you are saying to yourself, oh, that I could reach to better things. I hear how these people of God cry hallelujah at what Christ has done for them. Can he do the same for me? Listen. He that sitteth on the throne says in infinite condescension to you upon the dunghill. Behold, I make all things new. There is nothing so old that he cannot make it new. Nothing so fixed and habitual that he cannot change it. Dost thou not know, dear heart, that the Spirit of God has regenerated men and women quite as far gone as thou art? They have been as deeply sunken into sin and as hardened by habit as ever thou canst be. And they thought themselves given up to despair as thou thinkest thyself to be. Yet the Spirit of God carried out the will of Christ and made them new. Why should he not make you new? Let every thief know that the dying thief entered heaven by faith in Jesus. Let everyone that has been a great transgressor remember how Manasseh received a new heart and repented of his evil deeds. Let everyone who has left the paths of purity remember how the woman that was a sinner loved much because much had been forgiven her. I cannot doubt of the possibility of your salvation, my dear friend, whenever I think of my own. A more determined, obstinate rebel than I could scarce have ever been. Child as I was, under holy restraint as I was, so as to be kept from gross outward sin, I had a powerful inner nature which would not brook control. I strove hard and kicked. I labored to win heaven by self-righteousness. And this is as real a rebellion as open sin. But oh, the grace of God, how it can tame us, how it can turn us with no bit or bridle, but with a blessed solvity of tenderness, it turns us according to its pleasure. Oh, anxious one, it can turn you. I want them to drop into your ear and may the Spirit of God drop into your heart this word, you may be born again. The Lord can work a radical change in you. 
He that sitteth on the throne can do for you what you cannot do for yourself. And as he has made you once and you became marred by sin, he can new make you. For he said, behold, I make all things new. Furthermore, you will say to me, I desire to lead a new life. To do this, you must be new yourself. For as the man is, so his life will be. If you leave the fountain foul, the streams cannot be pure. Renewal begins in the heart. Dear friend, the Lord Jesus Christ is able to make your life entirely new. We've seen many transformed into new parents and new children. Friends have said in wonder, what a change in John. What an alteration in Ellen. We have seen men become new husbands and women become new wives. They are the same persons and yet not the same. Grace works a very deep striking and lasting change ask those that have had to live with converted people whether the transformation has not been marvelous Christ makes new servants new masters new friends new brothers new sisters the Lord can change can so change us that we will scarcely know ourselves I mean he can thus change you now who despair of yourselves Oh, dear hearts, there is absolutely no necessity that you should always go downward in evil until you descend into hell. There is a hand that can give you a gravitation in the opposite direction. It would be a wonderful thing if Niagara, when it is in full descent, should be made to leap upwards. And the St. Lawrence and the sea should begin to climb backward to the lakes yet God could do even that and so he can reverse the course of your fallen nature and make you act as a new person he can stay the tide of your raging passion he can make you who were like a devil become an angel of God for thus he speaks from the throne of his eternal majesty behold what he say I make all things new Come and lay yourself down at his feet and ask him to make you new. I beseech you, do this at once. Well, I'm going to mend myself, says one. I've taken the pledge. I'm going to be honest and religious. This is commendable resolving. But what will come of it? You will break your resolutions and be nothing bettered by your attempts at reform. I expect that if you go into the business of mending yourself, you will be like the man who had an old gun. Took it to the gunsmith, and the gunsmith said, well, this would make a very good gun if it had a new stock, a new lock, a new barrel. <laughs> so you would make a very good man by mending if you had a new heart, a new life, and were made new all over so that there was not a bit of the old stuff left. It'll be easier a great deal to depend upon it even for God to make you new than for you to mend you. For the fact is that the carnal mind is at enmity against God and is not reconciled to God, neither indeed can be, so that mending will not be the answer. You must be made new. What is wanted is that you should be made in a new creature in Christ Jesus. You must be dead, buried with Christ, risen in him again, and then all will be well, for he will have made all things new. I pray to God to bless these feeble words of mine for the helping of some of his chosen out of the darkness of their fears. But now, beloved, farther than this, there are children of God who need this text. 
Behold, I make things all, I make all things new, whose sigh is that they soon grow dull and weary in the ways of God, and therefore they need daily renewing. A brother said to me some time ago, Dear sir, I frequently go very sleepy in my walk with God. I seem to lose the freshness of it. And especially by about Saturday, I get I hardly know where. But, he added, as for you, whenever I hear you, you seem to be all alive and full of fresh energy. Oh, my dear brother, I said, that's because you don't know me. That was all I was able to say just then. I thank God for keeping me near himself, but I am as weak and as stale and as unprofitable as you. I say this with very great shame. Shame for myself and shame for the brother who led me to make the confession. We are both wrong. With all our fresh springs in God, we ought to be always full of new life. Our love to Christ ought to be every minute as if it were newborn. Our zeal for God ought to be as fresh as we have just begun to light in him. Aye, but it's not, says one, and I'm sorry I can't contradict him. After a few months, a vigorous young Christian will begin to cool down. And those who have been long in the ways of God find that final perseverance must be a miracle if ever it is to be accomplished, for naturally we tire and faint. Well now, dear friends, why do you and I ever get so stale and so flat? Why do we sing, dear Lord, and shall we ever live at this poor dying rate? Why do we have to cry, in vain we tune our formal songs, in vain we strive to rise, Hosanna's, lang Hosanna's languish on our tongues and our devotion dies? It's because... We get away from him who says, Behold, I make all things new. The straight way to a perpetual newness and freshness of holy youth is to go to Christ again just like we did at the first. That's the part right there. That's what I've read this sermon a lot of times. That's the part I need. 2021. That's the part you need. How do you stay fresh in your passion for Jesus? You've got to keep going to the one who says, I make all things new. A better thing still is never to leave him, but to stand forever at the cross foot, delighting yourself in his all-sufficient sacrifice. They that are full of the joy of the Lord never find life grow weary. They that walk in the light of his countenance can say of the Lord Jesus, Thou are the dew of my youth. And that dew falls upon those who dwell with him. Oh, I'm sure that if we kept up perpetual communion with him, we should keep up a perpetual stream of delights. Immortal joy joys come streaming down, joys like his grief, immense unknown. But these joys only come from him. We shall be young if we keep with Jesus. He saith and he performs the saying, behold, I make all things new. He can make that next sermon of yours, my dear brother minister, quite new and interesting. He can make that prayer meeting no longer a dreary affair but quite a new thing to you and all the people. 
My dear sister, next time you go to your class, you may feel as if you'd only just begun teaching. You won't be tired at all of your godly work, but you'll love it better than ever. And you, my dear brother, at the corners of the street where you're often interrupted, perhaps with foul language, you will feel that you are pleased with your position of self-denial. Getting near to Christ, you will partake in his joy. And that joy shall be your strength, your freshness, the newness of your life. God grant us to drink of the eternal fount that we may forever overflow. And further, dear friends, there may be some dear child of God here who is conscious that he lives on a very low platform of spiritual life. And he knows that the Lord can raise him to a new condition. Numbers of Christians seem to live in the marshes always. Why is that? If you go through the valleys of Switzerland, you will find yourself get feverish and heavy in spirit, and you will see many idiots, persons with the goit and people or the gout, and people greatly afflicted. Climb the sides of the hills, ascend into the Alps, and you will not meet with that kind of thing in the pure fresh air. Many Christians are of the sickly valley breed. Oh, that they could get up into the high mountains and be strong. I want to say to such, if you have been all your lifetime in bondage, you need not remain there any longer. For there is in Jesus the power to make all things new and to lift you into new delights. It will seem to be a dead lift to you, but it is within the power of that pierced hand to lift you right out of doubt, right out of fear, right out of despondency and spiritual lethargy and weakness and just to make you now from this day forward strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Now breathe a silent prayer, dear brother, dear sister. To him who makes all things new, Lord, make my, thy poor spiritually sick child to be strong in spiritual health. What a blessing it would be for some workers of God would make them strong. All the church would be better because of the way in which the Lord would help them to do their work. Why should some of you be living at a penny a day and starving yourselves when your father would give to you to live like princes of the blood royal if you would but trust him? I am persuaded that most of us are beggars when we might be millionaires in spiritual things. And here is our strength for rising to a nobler state of mind. Behold, I make all things new. Another application of this truth will be this. Oh, says one. Let me ask Casey and Darren to come. We'll sing after this. Another application of this truth will be this. Oh, says one, I don't know what to make of myself. I've had a weary time of light. Everything seems to have gone wrong with me. My family causes me great anxiety. My business is a thorny maze. My own health is precarious. I dread this year. In fact, I dread everything. We will not go on with that lamentation, but we will bear the cheering word. Behold, I make all things new. The Lord, in answer to believing prayer, and especially in answer to a full resignation to his will, is able to make all providential surroundings new for you. I have known the Lord on a sudden to, dark, to turn darkness into light and take away the sackcloth and the ashes from his dear children. For he doth not afflict willingly, nor grieve the children of men. Sometimes all this worry is mere discontent. 
And when the child of God gets right himself, these imaginary troubles vanish like the mist of the morning. But when there are real troubles, God can easily change your condition. Dear child of God, as he can turn his hand, he can make your harsh and ungodly husband to become gentle and gracious. He can bring your children to bow at the family altar and to rejoice with you in Christ. He can cause your business to prosper. Or if he doesn't do that, he can strengthen your back to bear the burden of your daily cross. Oh, it's wonderful how different a thing becomes when it's taken to God. But you want to make it all new yourself, and you fret, and you worry, and you tease, and you trouble, and you make a burden of yourself. Why not leave that off and in humble prayer take the matter to the Lord and say, Lord, appear for me, for thou hast said I can make all things new. Make my circumstances new. He is certainly able to turn your captivity as he turns the sun when it has reached the southern tropic. Come, there is one more application, and that is that the Lord can convert those dear friends about whose souls you've been anxious. The Lord who makes all things new can hear your prayers. One of the first prayers that I heard tonight in the prayer meeting was by a dear brother that God would save his relatives. Then another with great tenderness prayed for his children. And I know it came from an aching heart. Some of you have heartbreakers at home. The Lord break their hearts. You have grievous trouble because you hear the dearest that you have blaspheming the God you love. You know that they are Sabbath breakers, utterly godless, and you tremble for their eternal fate. Certain persons attend this tabernacle. I don't see them tonight, but I can say of them that I never enter this pulpit without looking to their pews to see where they are and breathing my heart to God for them. I forget a great many of you who are saved, but I always pray for them. And they will be brought in, I feel assured, but oh, that it may be this year. I liked what a brother said at the church meeting on Monday night when his brother was introduced to the church. There he sits, parentheses, he saw him. I asked about his brother's conversion and I said, I suppose you were surprised to see him converted. He said, I shouldn't have been very much surprised if, I should have been very much surprised if he had not been. But why, my dear brother, I said, because I asked the Lord to convert him and I kept on praying that he might be converted and I should have been very much surprised if he had not been. That's the right sort of faith. I should be very much surprised if some of you that come here time after time are not converted. You shall be, blessed be God. We will give him no rest until he hears us, but come. Are we to be praying for you and you're not praying for yourself? Do you not agree with our prayers? Oh, I trust you may. But even if you don't, we will pray for you. And if we were sure that you opposed our intercessions and were even angry with them, we'll pray all the more. For we mean to have you one for Jesus by the grace of God, and you may as well come soon as late. We are bound to have you in the church confessing your faith in Jesus. We will never let you go. Neither will we cease from our 
importunate prayers until we get an answer from the throne and see you saved. Oh, that you would yield on this first night of the year to him who can make new creatures of you. God grant you may. Though Lord, answer our prayer now for Jesus' sake. For we seek the salvation of every hearer of this sermon. Amen. Amen. Let's sing to the Lord.